And I just find it amazing that in Scripture, there's 15 times that the Bible, where it mentions in the Bible the metaphor of the body. And as I've, as I've really been just meditating on these things and, and really pressing into the Lord and asking the Lord for a greater revelation of this, um, you know, I see how beautiful this metaphor is and how, how significant it is for us as a body uh, to understand our place in the body, to understand uh, what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So I don't know if this is a series. It might be, it might be not. I don't know. We'll see how much we get through today. I'll try to get you here before three, get you out of here. <laughs> somebody, somebody got that. Um, but just think about how amazing your body is for one minute. How amazingly, intricately, wonderfully, beautifully designed God has made you. Just today, if you're an adult on the average body weight, here's what you will accomplish in 24 hours. Think about this for a second. Your heart beats 103,689 times today. Your blood travels, wait for it, 168 million miles. That's amazing. You breathe 23,040 times. Some of you more than that. Um, You inhale 438 cubic feet of air. You eat 3.25 pounds of food. You drink 2.9 quarts of liquids. You lose 7 eighths pounds of waste. You speak 4,800 words, including some unnecessary ones. Come on, somebody. And I know know there's a difference between men and women, but we won't go there. Uh, You move 750 muscles. I didn't even know I had that many. Your nails grow .00046 inches today. So ladies are like, I need that to speed up. Your hair grows .01714 inches, and you exercise, again, some more than others, 7 million brain cells. So I hope, I hope you're on the high end there this morning, all right? Yeah, so the body is amazing, and, and uh, also in the spiritual sense, the body of Christ is amazing, and so today I really want to talk about what it means to be body conscious, but spiritually speaking, come on, to be body conscious, um, because I believe what God wants to do in this hour, in this time that we're in, is not, a, not about you know, some all-stars who are going out and doing great things, but it's about his body moving in unison and accomplishing his will on earth, expressing what he wants to do on the earth, being his hands and his feet. And you not this morning are not only just part of this local body, but you're part of the global body of believers across the world this morning. And I believe God is doing a great thing in this hour. How many believe that? To bring his church together, to unite us, and to accomplish his will on earth. Just as God, Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh in the world for 33 years, doing good. With his eyes he saw the hurts of the oppressed. With his feet, he moved towards those in need. With his hands, he reached out and healed them. With his mouth, he lovingly and compassionately taught them. And now, he is expressing himself on earth through his church. Come on. His body. That means that the means by which he ministers. That's through us together, moving in unison with the Holy Spirit. We may understand this in principle, but the question I have this morning is, are we truly seeing it? Are we living in the reality of being a part 
of the body. Amen? If you're in your Bibles, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is the chapter where Paul instructs the Corinthian church on coming together for communion and, uh, and remembering the Lord and, and, and his blood and his body. But right after that, in verse 29, I want to start there. So he says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and in numbers sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that he will not we will not be condemned along with the world. How many are thankful that God disciplines you? I know it doesn't always feel good, but it has good results. It has good results. He cares too much about us to leave us where we're at. He, he, take, he, he disciplines us to let us be conformed to his image. Amen. Verse 33 says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So first of all, let's look at this passage in the background. First of all, Paul's dealing with some problems in the church. How many know the church has problems occasionally? If you're looking for a perfect church, keep looking. I guarantee there's problems, right? There's problems, and he had problems, so much so that the first 11 chapters of this book to the Corinthians was, was addressing some problems. But then he goes into the revelation to address and, 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 and heal those problems in the church and how we are to live in order to not to overcome those things. So he's dealing with some issues, and we, sometimes we have to deal with some issues in the church. But this was specific to how they gathered for the Lord's Supper. And in verse 17, just above that, if you'll read it, it says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Ouch. Ouch. But they had, they had some issues. They weren't the perfect church. But Paul used what I call the sandwich thing. You know what that is? When you, if you manage people, right? If you manage people, you understand that. You, gotta have, to give, you have to give them constructive feedback. And you start with, oh, you're doing this really, really well. Then there's this opportunity. And you're also doing this. I believe you can do this. So you, say, you compliment, then you have to address the opportunity. Then you, then you praise them again. You, if you've dealt with people, you know that's the best way to do it because it's hard to take bad feedback. None of us like it. But he says, look, at the beginning of the chapter, he goes, I praise you for you're you're doing some things good, but this, we got to deal with this. And I know many times this scripture has been looked at, so if you don't judge the body rightly, that it has to do with Jesus' body. Well, Jesus' body is the church. It's the church. And so what was happening in this situation was they were having, in their traditions in that culture was to have this agape feast, this love feast. All right. How many know the three F's of Christian Christianity? Fun, fellowship, fun, and food. Food, fun, and fellowship. That's what it is. Food, fun. I got them in the wrong order. Um, So we get together. It's a Christian potluck, if you will. And this went along with their culture. And so they'd have this agape feast. And then at the end, they would have the Lord's Supper. And so he's saying, in this situation, 
There was an expression, there was supposed to be an expression of fellowship, and there was an ex- supposed to be an expression of the Lord's Supper. And understand that in their culture before Christ, how many have a BC in your life? So we've changed that now. It's before COVID too, all right? So <laughs> there was the world before COVID, there's the world now. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, I had, I, that was getting confusing in our household, so I said, oh, before pandemic, all right? And before Christ, all right? Because my son will ask me, he's like, uh, were those your acquaintances before Christ when I'm talking about somebody? Like, was that the people you hung out with before Christ? And he calls them acquaintances. I don't know where he got this from. Because <laughs> I told him, I said, I didn't really have any real friends till I found Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I didn't even know what friends and fellowship was until I found Jesus. And, and so, yes, yes, there is a BC in my life. And they had a BC, and their life consisted of they'd get together for social gatherings for their idol worship. And so th- this was a new kind of love gathering for the Lord, but it had gone south. They would gather, and, and there would be the rich there, and the rich would bring their food, and they would just gouge, they would just, you know, fill themselves up, and over here were the poor people, and they weren't getting fed. And so, and then some of the rich were getting drunk at the Lord's, at this agape feast. So you say, well, pastor, I don't see the relevance to today, to us. Okay, stay with, stick with me. Because the question was, why were you gathering? Why were they gathering? And I think in this situation we're in now where we have been disrupted in our gathering, if you know what I'm saying, with COVID and everything that's going on with the pandemic, we have to ask ourselves and remind ourselves, why do we gather Why do we come together? What are we supposed to gain and give in our coming together? And why is it so critical that in Hebrews the Lord would say, do not forsake the gathering of the saints, especially as the day approaches? Because there is something that God wants to get out of it, and I will say this morning, it is koinonia, the fellowship of the saints. And it's a special kind of fellowship. So they weren't reaching that because of these issues in the church. Um, I don't believe we want to accept not gathering as the new normal. In fact, I hate that phrase, the new normal. If there's a new normal, it's revival. Come on. I want a new normal of revival in the church, in the land, in our country, in our nation, in our cities. That's the new normal I want to see. But saints, we can't forsake. And so then he goes on in verse 18, he says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. They were together physically, but they were not together as a body. Are you seeing this? They were hanging out and socializing, but they were, there were divisions and factions. Metaphorically, it means this word division means a dissension. And uh, factions are dissensions arising, listen to this, from the diversity of opinions and aims. Anyone have some different opinions this morning? There are certain topics we could bring up in here and we'd have 75, 100 different opinions in the house. Come on, somebody. So that we can easily get into the flesh. We can easily get into a place where we are divided on on, and, and in factions based on being connected to other people on something other than Christ. The thing, the, the thing that connects us, that keeps us in fellowship, is Christ in you and Christ in me. 
Christ in you and Christ in me were connected. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, as long as there's these factions, you're not rightly judging the body. Or in other words, you don't, you're not body conscious. You're not aware of your brethren who are in need. You're not aware of your brethren who are not being, whose needs are not being met. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says there are direst consequences for this that you are facing due to your inability to judge the body rightly. It's weakness, it's sickness, and even death for some. Wow. He says because you're not judging the body rightly, there's these things that exist. That's the significance of it because I believe this. The Bible says in Psalm 133 that, that, that the Lord loves unity of the brethren. And that where there is a unity of the brethren, he commands a blessing. His anointing flows from the head to the beard and to the body. The body. Are you with me this morning? And when that anointing is flowing, guess what? There can't be weakness. There can't be sickness. There can't be death. Come on, somebody. So when there is unity in the body, when we are in unity in our place where God places us in the body, functioning as God's called us to be, then there's a unity. There's an anointing that's released, and these things are dispelled. Come on. When we rightly judge the body, there is a positive health benefit. So three things I want to say this morning about body consciousness. And one is, one body, one life. One body, one life. It's awareness of the life of the body. How many know when you were born again, you were filled with the life of God? And the evidence of the life of God in you is you hated sin, you loved God, and you loved the brethren. It just happened. There was a conscious awareness of this transformation inside of you that changed your heart towards all these things. And so, so it is when we enter and baptize into the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And it says, for by one spirit we were all, somebody say all, baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are made to drink of one spirit. Jesus says this is the spirit of life. John 6, 63 says it is the spirit who gives life. It is the spirit who gives life. John 1, 4 says in him was the life and the, and the life is from him. He is the source of life. And in, John, in 1 John 5, it says, He who has the Son, let's wait for it, has the life. He who has the Son has the life. Not he who has the riches in Hollywood. Not he who has the power in government. Not he who has all these other things. He who has the Son has the life. And so when you have the life, and you're aware and you're conscious. Part of life is being conscious. You're aware of things. You feel things. Well, when you have the life, you are baptized into the body. You begin to sense and, and, and feel the body. Are you with me this morning? How many know as pastors, we feel some things. We feel what you're thinking sometimes. I hear words in my head. It's weird. We, we know, we, get, we wake up in the night and there's somebody in our heart. There's a name on our heart. Because you're in the body and I feel you. Some of you, many of you experience that. 
You're like, how is so-and-so doing? Somebody's name pops into your heart because, they're, because they're, they're part of the body. There's a sensing of people who are part of the body because you are united to them in one spirit, and we have a common life, a common life that is in Jesus. Amen. I thank God for the diversity of his body. Look at this. It says they were Jews, Greeks, they were slaves, they were free, different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds. I'm thankful for the diversity of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But here's where it goes. He says, none of us, none of us is an island to ourselves. We can't be. We'll die if we're separated from the body. We'll die if we're separated from the head. We need each other. We can't experience the life of a body on our own. Now, this life flow, notice our church name has fellowship in it. We love to fellowship. Come on. We're part of the fellowship of churches. So we love fellowship. We love getting together. But what does that mean, this koinonia? I'm going to give you some words to describe it. It is to share which one has in anything, a participation, fellowship, recognized and enjoyed. Thus it is used of the common experiences and interests of Christian men, of participation in the knowledge of the Son of God. How many have learned some things from other believers about knowing Jesus? Yeah. That's why we fellowship. There's, there's a life flow that occurs in fellowship in these home groups, in their get, gathering together the saints this morning. When we get together, there's a life flow, a mutual life flow from one to another as we share and participate in the life and the knowledge of the Son of God. In communion of sharing the realization of the effects of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Of sharing the resurrection life possessed in Christ. How many have some resurrection life in you this morning? That same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Come on. It dwells in you. It's alive in you this morning. And you may not feel it. You may not be able to connect to it in your senses, but it is a reality. Come on. It is a reality. His power dwells in you. So by engaging with fel- in fellowship with others, I'm acknowledging that I need what you have. I'm acknowledging that in and of myself, I am inadequate. I am inadequate. There are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. There are no free riders. I'm inadequate without you. And I'm saying that to each and every one of you. Everyone in this room this morning is significant. Everyone online, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're significant. I'm I'm inadequate in prayer by myself. I have a limited revelation by myself. I'm inadequate in finding, following, and fulfilling the will of God by myself. I discover the will of God in fellowship with other saints. Are you with me this morning? I don't find it independent of being outside, independent of the body. I'm inadequate in understanding the word of God. Come on. I've got a limited understanding myself. But when I get together with other believers and they begin to share and they begin to testify and they begin to share revelations God's given them, then there's something I'm missing that I grasp and that life flow is fast to me. 
You have something that we need. You have something that we need. You may be sitting there this morning going, I don't have anything. That is a lie from the devil. Because you have the life of God in you. You have the resurrection power of God in you. You have something that we need. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I've learned from every one of you. And let me just tell you this. Look at verse, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We're grieving this morning because I lost an aunt. She was amazing. She's amazing. She's the sweetest, kindest. Just cared. She was so not self-centered. She was selfless. She was that sister that looked out for everybody. Such a blessing. But I know our loss is heaven's gain. She's seeing the face of her Savior this morning. She's in the presence of God. And so we grieve because we miss her, but we'll see her again. Amen? There's a suffering, and we feel it when one member suffers, but we also feel it when one member is honored, and we rejoice. And we rejoice. Rejoicing and suffering are sensations. So if you are in the body and you're living in the reality of the body, you sense these things. You sense when a member suffers. You sense when a member rejoices. You sense when good things are happening in their lives. Come on, somebody. I'm so thankful that when I've been suffering, somebody in the body's praying for me. I'm thankful that when there's a good thing in my life going on, somebody in the body's rejoicing with me. Every one of us, we have, that, that we feel you. And so it is, even when I struggle, when we struggle, the lie of the enemy that says that our sin only affects us. I got a news for you today. When you're part of the body, there is no just your sin. I mean, you're maybe your act, you're responsible for it. I'm not saying it's somebody else's fault, but I'm saying that sin doesn't just affect you. It affects the body. Because as you, as a functioning member, when sin comes in and unbelief comes in and these things prevent you from being who God's called you to be, then we sense as the body, a part of our body, not functioning. You say, Pastor, that's heavy. Okay, the shoe fits. But here's the beauty. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, come on, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and he brings us back into the light and the fellowship. So stay in the light. Stay in fellowship. When you fall and when you mess up, confess it, get it right, and then, then get back into the light and fellowship. Let the blood of Jesus wash you and cleanse you. Amen? Oh, hallelujah, he cleanses us. His blood is powerful. Number two, one body, one head. Ephesians 1, 22, 23, read this with me. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
The church, it says in Ephesians 5, 24, is subject to Christ. This word subject. Meaning we are willing, willingly offering ourselves to him. And we are holding fast to the head, which is, who is Jesus. Staying connected to the head. Do you know that in the human body, nothing happens in the body without that impulse or direction from the head? If any part of your body was separated from the head, it would die. And if we get separated from the head, we face death. And so, here we are. Life of the head, being connected, submitted to him. Look at uh, Colossians 1.18. And, and when you look at the human body, there is a constant conversation happening between every member and the head. Constant. Every member and the head is constantly in communication. And every member with each other is constantly in communication. How does disease and things come into the body? That conversation is disrupted. How does cancer come into the body? The cancer comes in and begins to break down the conversation in the cells. Starts telling cells to build something they shouldn't or destroy or do things. They lie. I mean, it gives that demonic. That's why cancer is demonic. Come on, somebody. It is, it is deadly. It, is, it, it destroys. And there's, there can be cancers in the body of Christ when there's division or things that break down at those conversations that are happening between the members and between the members and the head. So, no cancer in the body in Jesus' name. Amen. Obeying him, submitting to his control, not man's control. You see, if this has been abused in your life, you, you sit there and there's probably a reaction to this. Because man has done that. But you can always trust yourself to the head. You can always trust yourself to the head. Being subjected to him, he, you, can't, you don't have to fear. Jesus will look after you. Jesus cares for you. He is for you, not against you. Come on. And he places you in the body. Colossians 1.18 says, He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. You see, our relationship to the body is interdependence. I need you, you need me. Our relationship to the head is dependence. And what has to go is independence. Now, this is a tough one. I know. It got quiet in here, church. <laughs> uh, but it said, our relationship to the head is dependence. Without him, we have no life. As a member separated from the head is lifeless and without consciousness of life. Being under his authority and lordships, lordship, our lives are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to him. We're not our own. And then secondly, to be subjected to the head, one body, one head, also means we're subjected and submitting to his authority in the body. The Bible says he gave the fivefold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the, the uh, uh, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints. For the what? Work of the ministry. 
So we have the fivefold ministry, and we, we're submitted to the Lord, and because we're submitted to the Lord, we're submitted to the authority he's put in place and, be, and, and his authority in those who have been given. Now, they're not greater. They're not superior. Come on. They're not. It's just a different function. We have to learn the difference in functions. You see, I have multiple functions. I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm an employee. I'm a, I'm a, a husband. Working on that one. I'm working on my father, fathering each and every day. Right? I have different functions. Us men, we call these boxes. You get me? Do you understand? We have boxes. Now, so I understand, as, uh, if you've ever seen uh, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, he describes the woman's mind, and they're all, all these boxes are intertwined. They're spaghetti. That's right, Lindsay. They're spaghetti. But for men, they're boxes. I'm in one box or I'm in the other. And so in this work-from-home atmosphere, it's tough for my wife. She's like, are you working right now or are you like husband? And it used to be I'd have this transition on the commute home where I could be, I'm going, I'm, going, I'm shifting gears. I've been in work mode and now I'm husband and father mode. But now I have to like leave the office like three steps, husband mode. I got a new function. So how many know your function doesn't find you? Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in his body. So just because somebody has a different function doesn't make them better. Guess what? We'll go to the next one. I'm getting ahead of myself. Number three, one body, one work. One body, one work. Let me give you an example. I just picked up this cup of tea. And none of you said, man, look at that hand. That hand got it done. I mean, that is some kind of hand. That is a special hand to hold it and press the button. How many know it wasn't just the hand? There was an impulse from the head. Many impulses from the head. There were joints supplying... There was muscles employed. That was the work of the body, not the hand. The work of the body. And so even as I preach up here, I don't do it by myself. There are people praying on Saturday night. There are people praying right now. There are people who are supporting, who are, who are encouraging, who are building me up. I could not do this without you. Every joint supplying is what makes everything possible. If we go do an evangelistic crusade, it is the body. It is the work of the body. Each and every person doing their part. And just because you don't have a visible part doesn't make you any less significant. Every part is significant in accomplishing the work of God. Romans 12.1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All right, I probably quote this scripture in every message. 
But it always comes back to this. Because I've got to get on the altar. And what goes on the altar is individualism. It's independence. It's me doing my thing. You see, Galatians 2.20 says this, it is, I am crucified with Christ. Listen to this part. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. By faith in the Son of God, I should say. I'm quoting it wrong. But here, here's the thing. It's no longer I. We need to get that in our vocabulary. You want to see this in action? Read Romans. Here's some homework for you this week. Read Romans 7. Count how many times I is in there. And then read Romans 8. And count how many times spirit's in there. I is done away with because he says, thanks be to God. <laughs> I'm in this struggle. If it's I, I'm in a struggle. And part of the struggle is I have to give up my individual. You, you are an individual. God gave you that. And you have an individual, unique expression of Christ in you, which, which we need in the body of Christ. But you have to get rid of individualism, which is me doing my thing. Each and every one of us, that independence, and you know if you're a parent, that independence starts to rise itself up, and you're like, mm. That moment they look back at you, and they're just crossing their arms. Or they do what you say, and you know that they're, they're, they're sitting on the outside, but they're standing on the inside. That thing. We all have it. That never goes away. Even when you're, you know, that toddler thing's still in you. Come on, somebody. God, you know, it seems at times that we have not only allowed this, but even promoted it in the body of Christ. Here, here's some terms we use. My ministry. My calling. Whew. How about this one? This would be better. My stewardship. That means I'm stewarding what God has entrusted to me. I'm entrusted with something precious from God, and I, now I have a responsibility to do something with it. He's given me gifts. He's given me abilities. He's given me a function, a place in the body of Christ, and I'm entrusted with it, and I need to be faithful in how I, uh, how I serve in that capacity. These words get us hung up because it's this Lone Ranger mentality. While God gives you a unique, specific ministry, here's the thing. The ministry that God will use in your life comes through your unique experience of Christ in you. Some of you will be used in the area of restoration because you've been through restoration yourself. Some of you will be used in healing because you've gone through a healing battle yourself. Come on. God takes the mess you were in, makes it a message. He takes the test and makes it a testimony, something that will become a blessing to somebody else. So we acknowledge that it's one body. It's one work. God is seeking not individual vessels, but corporate vessels. 
those who discern his body and value every member. Value every member. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul says to give preference to one another. To give preference to one another. That's a culture of honor where we honor everyone for who they are in Christ. And you know what honor does? It brings forth who that person is to be. It causes them to blossom. You see, I I begin to honor you. I begin to build you up in who God's called you to be. And then that person comes forth and begins to blossom. Because maybe you're dealing with some lies. Maybe you're dealing with some accusations. Maybe you're dealing with some condemnation. Maybe the enemy's all over you saying, you can't be this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And somebody comes up with a word of life and says, this is who you really are. This is who you really are. This is who God's called you to be. Don't sit back. We must lay down our individualism, our independence on the altar daily and embrace the interdependence of being healthy, contributing members of his body. God is seeking to do great things in his body, through his body in this time, but he can't if we're all doing our own thing. This is why I believe we have not seen anything yet, guys. We haven't seen anything yet because as the body comes into this unity, as people accept and function in their place in the body, we will begin to see things break forth. And I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm saying it's going to increase. I appreciate that almost everyone in this church serves in some capacity. You guys are amazing. So this, again, as Pastor Sam shared last week, it's not corrective. It's an encouragement to keep on and go further in what we do. Amen? We need deliverance from individualism, self-centeredness, and self-promoting from the party spirit. From the party spirit. Now, this can happen in church. You know what happened in high school. There's the crowd over here, the athletes. There's the crowd over here, the partiers. There's the crowd. You know what I'm saying? There's different crowds. That doesn't happen in church. Let me tell you what. My life has been enriched as a Christian because of the diversity of relationships I've had. Young, middle-aged, old, mature, I should say, I've gained from all of you. But that's not how the world relates. Their commonality is based on things we do or hobbies or other things. Now, that might be a good way to connect with your neighbor as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But the basis of our connection in the body is Christ. And I recognize that I can glean life from each and every one of you. give life to you. That's why when we come together, we come with a psalm, a hymn, something, an encouragement, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. That's why we want those gifts to flow in the house. Come on, somebody. As you begin to blossom into who you are in that confidence, you say, I'm going to step out in this because God's called me to do it, because somebody needs that. How How many know in every gathering there's things God wanted to do but didn't happen because of those inhibitions. And we think back, and we know it. I know it when I missed it. I know it when I missed it in the grocery store. Come on. I know it when I missed an opportunity. 
That's not to condemn us. That's to encourage us that those opportunities will keep coming and to be ready and to step out in them. One body, one work. I'm almost done. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Look at this. Being body conscious means we no longer can see ourselves as being of little consequence. You matter. You matter. You have a place. I look back and I remember, and I noticed that in my notes from November that I preached a message called Finding Your Place. Well, I'm repeating that today. God's got a place for you in his body. God's got a function for you. It also means that we can no longer be happy being spectators. Come on. I'm so glad we don't have cardboard cutouts this morning. I'm so glad you're actually here in person. (laughs) No cardboard cutouts. But our concern will be in ministry to build up his body and build it up in love. Can you stand with me this morning? If I could have the worship team come.